We don't think about orthopedic injuries in our patients until they have them. And certainly, when we think of them, we certainly know quite a few of our geriatric patients run into issues that have to be dealt with. Well, things have changed in the last 20, 30 years in the way we manage patients. And certainly, one of the areas where it has changed for the better is in the field of orthopedic surgery, especially for those who suffer trauma and those who suffer trauma in their golden years. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest is Derek Donegan. Dr. Donegan is Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery in the Division of Orthopedic Trauma at Penn Medicine in Philadelphia. Dr. Donegan, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Brian. wanted to talk to you about this area. I mean, first of all, you're an orthopedic trauma surgeon. Right off the bat, you're dealing with people who come in, and I guess, for lack of a better term, you're, you're essentially figuring out ways to put people back together again. Uh, yes, it is something that we do on a regular basis. You know, being an orthopedic trauma surgeon, we take care of people who sustain injuries from traumatic events all over the body in, in multiple different forms. The elderly must present a real difficult challenge because you obviously have many issues that just by being older, cardiac issues, respiratory issues, other things, but also the bones are a bit more brittle, a lot more time have been placed on them, and, and they're, they're probably, I would imagine, you could get some real um, shatter type of injuries and other issues. Yeah, you know, we have traumatic injuries, especially musculoskeletal-wise in the elderly patient population. It does prove to be a challenge And everything you just mentioned. From a fracture pattern perspective, they're often what we call more comminuted or, or multiple different patterns and fracture fragments. And then when we try to put them back together, uh, to your point, their bone quality is not the best, so it definitely proves to be a challenge at times. When you take it from the beginning to the end with an elderly patient, let's say it's a fracture of a hip, which is classic, what are the things that you have to think about? Because I'm sure it's more than just the surgery. That, that obviously is the most important aspect, but there's so many other variables. What goes into treating an elderly patient when they have a problem like a hip fracture or another type of injury? Yeah, I think, you know, when we think about elderly patients and orthopedic injuries, we definitely think about the hip fracture as being kind of a hallmark of that patient population. When that occurs in an individual's life, there's many different issues that arise from a medical perspective and then obviously from an orthopedic perspective. You know, when we see these patients in our hospital at the University of Pennsylvania, we understand that there's multiple different systems involved at one time. So really, the thought comes down to how can we coordinate this patient's care to the best of our ability from medically optimizing these individuals for surgery, getting them to surgery in a timely fashion, expediting safe surgery and doing the right surgery at the right time, and then postoperatively making sure that we're streamlining them to have the best possible functional outcome. When you talk about the actual surgical procedure, what are the unique challenges in that group, uh, things that you see kind of across the board? Yeah, I think um, one of the big things, again, is bone quality. That's one thing where we're putting these fractures back together. Fortunately, with technology and innovation, some of the devices that we use today have aged with us and have been developed to help us combat some of these problems. The other thing is, from a medical perspective, oftentimes, as you alluded to, these patients have other medical problems that are happening in their life, such as cardiac or pulmonary so according to that care between orthopedic surgeons, our medicine colleagues, geriatricians, our anesthesiologists to make sure that that patient is optimized, that we have a good handle on what's going on from a medical perspective so our anesthesiologists can provide the best care when they're in the operating room, i.e. what type of anesthesia, and to that point to after surgery from a pain management regimen to minimize the effects that some of these medications can have on, on the 
getting a little bit into your career as an orthopedic surgeon and obviously with the specialty in trauma, it's got to be a bit of an unpredictable day. I would imagine when you go into work, you probably in some cases have no idea what you're going to see. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, a little bit of what had drawn me to the field to begin with, the unpredictable nature. That being said, common things are common, so we tend to see a certain amount of things happen on a relatively frequent basis. But, you know, oftentimes, sometimes you go to bed at night, you have three cases. Uh, When you wake up in the morning, you have six or seven, so it can change uh, rapidly depending on what's going on. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Derek Donegan. He is Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery in the Division of Orthopedic Trauma at Penn Medicine, and we're talking about orthopedic trauma surgery, and obviously our show is focused on primary care physicians and primary care providers. What ways can they be of help? For instance, we may get the call from a patient who's very concerned. For instance, things like time frame, getting people help, things you can do. What are the tips you would give the primary care providers to put their patients in the best, I guess, the best position to get the best uh, results from people like you? That's a good question. I think when it comes to taking care of the patient with a hip fracture, I think having a center or a place that has coordinated care or a a pathway, if you will, for people with these type of uh, geriatric hip fractures is important because that means the time that's been taken to have to set up the lines of communications between multiple different subspecialties in order to, again, optimize the patient medically to get them to the operating room in a timely fashion. You know, our goal at the University of Pennsylvania is to get them to the operating room within 24 hours of them coming through our doors at the hospital. We've been doing a reasonable job at that in the last year. I think our average time was about 17 hours or so getting these patients to the operating room. That takes a fair amount of coordination. So, you know, when we start talking to primary care physicians and physicians um, that cover nursing homes and things of that nature, I think it's really important for them to realize that when you have a patient who has a hip fracture, get them to a facility that has this coordinated care type of situation to help facilitate and expedite and optimize um, this patient's uh, care. Right now, we're in a situation where obviously there's a great deal of attention being paid to the opioid epidemic and the issue of opioids and their use. How are orthopedic surgeons like yourself dealing with it? I mean, there was one time, obviously, and we certainly do want to control pain and, and help people with pain, but with the elderly and with others, what has your stance on opioids been and, and how liberal or conservative are you with them now? Yeah, I think, you know, we are in the in the middle of an epidemic, and I think although it's a terrible thing, the good thing is the amount of awareness that it has brought, I think, to the provider and to the patient together. In our division of orthopedic trauma, we come up with a multimodal pain regimen for all of our patients where we utilize multiple different types of medications, including anti-inflammatory medications, Tylenol or acetaminophen, nerve modulator medications in the form of gabapentin or Lyrica, in addition to short-acting narcotics for shorter periods of time. And it seems to be that that combination of medications has significantly decreased our need to prescribe longer-acting or opioids for a longer period of time. Specifically, when it comes to elderly, one of the big issues we see with hip fractures is post-operative delirium. And we do know that there's a direct correlation to the use of narcotics and enhancing that post-op delirium. So we do our best to try to avoid that as much as possible. At Penn, again, part of our algorithm is to be able to give them IV uh, acetaminophen to help decrease the amount of narcotics that is needed 
recently we just finished up a study showing that, that there was a direct correlation to that. So we're pretty excited about that right now. So you did a study looking at that. I know that one of the arguments against IV acetaminophen, at least right now, is the cost. It's it's, it's quite pricey. So essentially studies like that would have to show the, the pros and the cons and, and, and show comparative I guess, looks at what's good about it versus what the costs and other risks are. Absolutely. Interesting enough, if you follow the cost out, if you decrease the rate of delirium, you actually tend to decrease the length of stay in the hospital, and there's a direct correlate cost to that. Interesting you bring that up because I know a lot of times when they look at drug studies, they look specifically at the medication and that effect, but you're right. I mean, you have to look at the total picture, especially in today's world where you're looking at hospital stays, length of stay, uh, other issues that could occur if somebody was delirious as well, and maybe even subsequent injuries and problems that could occur. Absolutely. On the length of stay aspect, if you look across the country, I think the average length of stay for patients with hip fractures is around six and a half days or so. At, at 10, at our institution, with implementation of this pathway and this multimodal pain regimen, our average length of stay is around five days. So there's definitely a direct correlate to that. What other things haven't I asked you about? We have about five minutes in the program that you think are really important that you'd like to bring up and share with the physicians who are listening. Hip fractures and fragility fractures we know is a major issue. It's going to continue to be. I think we're going to see more of them as time goes on. I'll do with a, a greater number of the aging population. I think the important thing from the primary care physician is understanding the risk factors and knowing that it's been long thought of to be an elderly female who sustains a hip fracture. An elderly male is just as much risk as a female. In fact, when you look at the numbers, when a male sustains a fragility hip fracture, they actually have a, a higher mortality rate. So it's, it's a big issue. So I think it's important to understand that as our population becomes elderly, whether male or female, it's a really important topic to talk to them about and understanding just bone health and making sure that everyone's on top of that as, as they get older. And I know we probably can't hear it enough, but what are some of the things you suggest when you talk to younger people and you talk to others about bone health and trying not to get in that situation in the first place? Yeah, I think there's a couple of key things. And again, I think this comes back to the groundwork with our primary care physicians is you know understanding the importance of you know exercise, just from walking, any weight-bearing exercise we know can increase your bone mineral density making sure that people aren't smoking, making sure that alcohol use is low. You have that discussion, understanding things you can do to prevent falls, i.e., you know, timing from taking a certain, say, blood pressure medication and getting up and taking a walk, making sure you understand your environment and actually having those conversations with your patients and understanding that, you know, preventative medicine starts with that conversation. Now, I know you obviously are doing this work at Penn. We have listeners from all over the country. Are many major medical centers now taking the approach you are at Penn? Is this something you're just doing in Philadelphia, or is it something where there's a way our doctors could find out where in their own areas there might be approaches like this? There's actually a fair amount of health systems throughout the country that are doing this. And a few years ago, one of the societies, the AO Society, came up with the Own to Bone, and that translated into our AOA Society as well. So there is a large emphasis on fragility fractures and the aging bone health population and how to enhance that and really allow people to age better from a bone health perspective. And this is a trend throughout the entire country. In wrapping it up, I also wanted to talk a little bit, if I could, about your relationship and other people's relationships with tertiary hospitals, other hospitals that in the community, community hospitals, building a network with orthopedic surgeons and other physicians. I would assume that's advantageous that you get to know different people in different areas and work with them. Absolutely. It's funny, you know, just as any other medical subspecialty, orthopedic trauma is really small. You know, it's a small world. 
Uh, that being said, uh, orthopedics, there's a fair amount of orthopedic surgeons in our area in Philadelphia and the greater Philadelphia community. Our relationships, just from an institution perspective, we have a direct ties with Chester County, so it, it's easy to involve them in a lot of our pathways and our thought process around these things. In general, we have our societal meetings, and once a year, there's a Delaware Valley trauma meeting where we all get together and talk about these issues and give presentations and discuss some of the leading research that we're doing on these topics. So, you know, that network's really important, and um, it's easy to come out and, and talk about it and, and develop those networks and making sure that we're doing the best we can to provide good quality care for our patients. So for different doctors in different communities, it does make sense to check it out and work on it. Well, Dr. Donigan, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on Primary Care today, and I really appreciate your taking your time out of your day to share your information with us. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash primary care today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. Thank you for listening and being a part of the knowledge.